I welcome Dan Morris, Principal Scientist for AI for Earth at Microsoft. Okay, to start off, let's talk about you. Can you introduce yourself, tell us what you do, and where you're located? Sure, I'm Dan Morris. I work with a program called AI for Earth at Microsoft. I live more or less in Seattle. Uh, AI for Earth is a program at Microsoft that basically our job is to put the Microsoft Cloud to work for environmental sustainability. I'm probably going to use the word cloud a lot today, and I'm going to bet there's some people listening who've like heard of the cloud but don't actually know what I mean. So I'm going to like I'm going to define what the cloud is because I'm going to talk about it a lot. Uh, like when we talk about the cloud, Microsoft basically has big buildings full of lots of computers and hard drives that people and companies pay to use for all kinds of services on the internet. We want to put some of that capability to work for conservation and environmental sustainability. That's what we do at AFR, more or less. Awesome. Okay, so how old were you when you first got interested in technology? Uh, I played a lot of video games as a kid when I was like, I don't know, video games were a lot harder to play in 1987. So you had to know a pretty good amount of computers to get to just to get video games to run. So I'd say probably when I was around 11, I got into computers mostly because I like video games. That makes sense. Okay, so now let's learn how AI for Earth is impacting sustainability around the world. Okay, to start out, can you tell us about your group, AI for Earth, and what it focuses on? Yeah, well, like I said, our job is to put Microsoft's cloud to work for environmental sustainability. And we do that in a couple different ways. So first of all, we're a grants program. That means we don't just build stuff. We also give stuff away to other organizations. We give away access to Microsoft's cloud. We give away support. And in some cases, we give away money to help other conservation organizations you make effective use of the cloud for sustainability. But then we also do build some stuff. So we try to build tools, in particular tools that use AI to help make environmental scientists more efficient at what they do. So just like any other field, lots of environmental scientists are doing really important work that has some really boring parts to it. Lots of environmental scientists have to sit and listen to thousands and thousands of hours of audio to figure out which recordings have whales in them, or look at thousands and thousands of satellite pictures to figure out where the roads and the rivers are. And we wanna use the cloud and use AI to, not to automate that work, but to just help them be more efficient so they can spend their time uh, focusing on conservation instead of focusing on clicking on lots and lots of images. So in the stuff that we build at Microsoft, that's a big part of what we do. That's awesome. That sounds like a great tool for people who have to listen for whale sounds. I think that would be a pretty cool job, but I get it could be get boring. So that's really cool good. for like the first two hours. And then if your environmental yeah. scientist has been doing it for five years, it gets a little boring, I think. But Yes. <laughs> okay. So I was super excited to read about your World Mosquito Program. I hate to admit it, but I'm not a big fan of mosquitoes. So can you please tell us about this and why it's important? Sure. I'll actually say first, the, the World Mosquito Program is not part of Microsoft. The World Mosquito Pro uh, Program is an external organization, and it's a great example of, I mentioned before, we don't just build stuff. We're also a grants program. We help other organizations get up and running on the cloud and make use of the cloud. So the World Mosquito Program is one of those other organizations that we've supported. Uh, and what they do is uh, they release a very specific kind of uh, mosquito, they release mosquitoes with a very specific kind of bacteria in them that 
basically, if that mosquito takes over an area, it is much harder for mosquitoes in that area to transmit diseases to humans. So what they do is they have this mosquito that's basically a safe mosquito. The, the ecosystem needs mosquitoes. I know they're a pain, but they're not bad, but they can pose a threat to humans. And uh, what they do is they go out and release this, let's call it a good mosquito for today, a mosquito that poses, uh, because it's been infected with this bacteria, poses less risk to uh, to humans. And they need to uh, figure out good places to go and release that good mosquito where it can hopefully help save a lot of people. And so we help them use the cloud basically to figure out where are good places to release this bacteria, this uh, mosquito that's carrying this particular bacteria, because you want to release it somewhere where mosquitoes can actually survive. And also somewhere where there's a lot of people, because releasing in the middle of nowhere doesn't really help uh, save a lot of people. So they have used the cloud and some spatial analysis tools on the cloud, basically to figure out where are the best places. You can only release this mosquito in so many places. Somebody's got to drive out there and do a bunch of work. Where are the best places to do that? They're going to help the most people. Wow. Okay. And when you were talking about mosquitoes, it made me think of titi flies. Have you ever been attacked by a titi fly? I have actually. Not really in my work, just like on vacation. I have been bitten by a titi fly, actually. Yes. You can, okay. feel, you can feel it. They bite pretty hard. Yeah. Bite right through yeah. your sock. <laughs> I was in some part in Tanzania that's known for titi flies and they just swarm me. So that mosquitoes made me think of that. And like, have you ever thought of using this kind of technology in this program to like help titi flies? I do not know enough about mosquitoes or tsetse flies to say whether you can do the same kind of thing. This is a great example that says, like, my our job at Microsoft, we're technologists, and so we trust our environmental science colleagues to ask these important questions. Like, I have no idea if you could do something like this for tsetse flies, but I bet our colleagues at the World Mosquito Program can, and our job is to just make them as efficient as they can possibly be with Microsoft tools. <laughs> okay, so, so AI for Earth has a big ocean cleanup initiative. Can you tell us how you teach computers to find plastics in our oceans. Sure. So I'll, I'll say again, the Ocean Cleanup is another organization that we worked with. I'm going to tell you what we did here too, but the Ocean Cleanup is an external organization, not part of Microsoft, that we worked with. And they're a really cool organization. So they do a couple different things. Their job is to rid the world's oceans of plastic. They do that in a couple different ways. They send out these really cool boats, basically, that go and pick up plastic from rivers and from the ocean. They also do a lot of work to find out how does plastic get into the ocean in the first place and how can we stop it? Uh, and that's where we were collaborated with them. So at the time we met them, they were basically going around and putting cameras on bridges. Uh, so it turns out a lot of plastic gets into the ocean because it gets dumped into rivers and some uh, a handful of rivers around the world end up just collecting a lot of plastic that spills out of the ocean. And in order to help understand where exactly that plastic is coming from and when does it come more when it rains or more during tourist season or questions like that, they were putting up cameras on bridges pointing down at the water to look at the plastic flowing by. And once again, you have one of these times, this is a really interesting data source. It could tell you a lot about how plastic gets in the ocean. Somebody's got to sit and watch thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of video and click on all the plastic to answer these questions. And we'd really like to use computers to make that less boring and basically let them, you can only put out so many cameras if somebody has to click on every image. So we worked with them to build an AI model that looks at all those images and figures out where the plastic is so that people have to do a lot less work and can spend their time asking questions about plastic and putting out more cameras instead of clicking on all those images. Um, and that's that actually happened really through a really cool volunteer project at Microsoft. So although I was involved, it wasn't just the AI for Earth program working on that. It was a handful of just really passionate volunteers from all over Microsoft that made that collaboration with the ocean cleanup happen. Okay. 
So Microsoft contributed a learning lab that kids and teams can go on to my website to practice what machine learning is and how camera traps work. So can you tell us about Zamba Cloud and how you're using camera traps to help save species? I love camera traps are like my favorite thing in the world to talk about. So I'd love to talk about camera traps. I'll also tell you that. So we do a lot of work on camera traps here at Microsoft that I'll tell you about. Zamba Cloud is another one of those uh, external organizations that we helped uh, to do their work on, on camera traps. But I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of the overall problem. So for those of your listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with camera traps, if a biologist wants to know how many of a particular species are around and about in a certain area, uh, let's say you want to know how many cheetahs there are in Serengeti National Park. You might go out and put out anywhere from 500, from five to 500 cameras, motion-triggered cameras, put them out, leave them out in the wilderness for a few months, and then come back and you go onto all those cameras and you take off the memory cards, and now you might have anywhere from a couple thousand to 50 million images to look at. And once again, we have one of these situations where first hundred images are really fun, but to look through 50 million images is going to take that conservation organization a really long time and cost them a lot of money. And that means they're not going to answer this really important question for maybe a year when they kind of need to know the answer right away. Species populations are changing really fast. And so we want to use computers, particularly AI, to basically help them look at camera trap images faster and use AI to figure out we can't necessarily yet figure out what animal is in every image, but we can help them say, it turns out actually when you go out and put camera traps out in the wild, you actually get back just a lot of junk, a lot of leaves blowing around that triggers the camera, and just, just all kinds of stuff that isn't interesting. In some places you get people walking by and maybe you don't care about people for that particular project. Uh, so we want to help them basically get rid of all the really boring images so they can just spend their time on the images that actually have interesting stuff in them. Uh, and so we've done some work uh, on that at Microsoft. That's one of the tools we've built is an AI program that helps go through camera trap images and hopefully get rid of all the boring ones so that environmental scientists can focus on the interesting ones. Um, and we've helped a lot of organizations with that. Uh, Zamba Cloud is another, was built by another organization, but it it's trying to do basically the same kind of thing, help people get through camera trap recordings faster. What's unique about Zamba Cloud is most camera traps just take pictures. Usually if an animal walks by, it takes either three or five or maybe 10 pictures when that animal walks by. Some people use camera traps and actually take videos, not just a couple of pictures. And usually scientists do that when they not only want to study what animals are there, but they want to study the behavior. They want to ask questions like, are the animals healthy? Are the animals communicating with each other? What, which you can really see a lot better in video. So Zamba Cloud is a tool that one of our partners built that we, we help them use the cloud to build it more efficiently that really specifically helps scientists be more efficient in the way they handle video camera traps specifically, because most of the work we do at Microsoft is for camera traps that are just taking a handful of pictures. Yes, camera traps are really impactful. The learning lab that we have here on Club 15 is where kids can go in and learn computer vision, and they can teach their computer to see apples and bananas and identify them. And this is really no different than a camera trap identifying a poacher out in the wild. And the great thing about this is when once you know the basics of computer vision, you can build it. So people can start building camera traps and drones. So these are the technologies that are really out there saving animals. Okay. So what are open data sets and how do they help people? Great question. So another thing that we do in AI for Earth is we try to, so I mentioned before, our job is to put the Microsoft Cloud, that's all the computers and hard drives that we have at Microsoft to work for environmental scientists. 
Turns out that environmental scientists use a lot of really large data sets, like way too big to fit in your hard drive. And in particular, that's things like, so environmental scientists use satellite imagery a lot. It's one of the best ways we have to study where forests are, to study how water is changing all around the world. It's really important to environmental science. Satellite data sets are really, really big, like petabytes and petabytes and racks and racks of hard drives that you could not possibly fit in your house. And it doesn't make sense to ask every environmental scientist who works with that data on the cloud to bring it themselves. It's just not practical, it's too expensive, it's too slow. So part of our job when it comes to open data sets is making sure that the data that is very commonly used by environmental scientists is just there on the cloud waiting for them so that they can use it when they want to. And in particular, that's the satellite imagery. There's some other things too, like weather data, but most of the open data that we host is satellite imagery. That means that environmental scientists can just come to the cloud and start working with it instead of having to bring their own giant copy and spend months uploading data before they can actually start doing their interesting work. I love these projects that you're doing because they're helping people and by helping people you can save animals by using by cutting off the time that people have to look at you know camera trap images or lessons to sound underwater they can go out there and do more things to help animals so I think these projects that you're doing are just incredible. Okay, so can you tell us about the planetary computer and what is this and how does it work? Great question and it builds right on the last one. So I mentioned that it's really important for environmental scientists to just have these big data sets there when they come to work on the cloud instead of having to bring giant data sets themselves. But there's really another piece to that, which is actually, it's not only difficult to get this data to the cloud, it's kind of difficult to work with. They're really big. If you want to find, you know, you have a satellite data set might have taken a billion pictures, literally a billion pictures for as long as it's been in the cloud, in the sky. And you might want to take, you, you might be interested in just a small number of those. Maybe you're studying forests in Tanzania and you want to be able to very quickly access all the images from Tanzania from 2018 in this giant pile of images. The planetary computer is a collection of a few things. It's all of that data, all those open data sets that we're hosting on Azure, and then a bunch of tools that make it easier to work with all those giant data sets. So easier to find the data you need. And then you also need, even if you're working with Tanzania, Tanzania is pretty big and you're gonna be accessing a lot of images. You actually need a lot of computers to ask an interesting question about all those images. Like where are the forests? How are they changing in Tanzania from these images? And to do that, you need to ask a whole bunch of computers to do a bunch of work for you. And it turns out that's kind of complicated and a big pain to get a whole bunch, you know, to get 100,000 computers all working together to ask your question. It's pretty complicated. We don't really want environmental scientists to have to worry about that part. We just want them to say, here's all my images. Here's the program I want to run on all those images. Go find a bunch of computers to do that stuff for me. So the planetary computer helps them do that part. It takes some of the heavy lifting of managing a whole bunch of computers away takes a bunch of the heavy lifting of finding the images you want away so that again, environmental scientists can come and just focus on the questions that they want to ask and writing the programs and algorithms that actually focus on the images and ask questions about forests and things like that. I can totally imagine that computer helps. It can get a lot more work done a lot faster. Okay, so what are some of the coolest advancements in species conservation that you have seen in your career? Uh, yeah, so I think this whole space, my, my career in this space is still relatively short. I've only really been in this environmental science space for two or three years. And in that time, really, this trend toward using AI to save environmental scientists time has really taken off. There have been like scientific papers written about it for a long time, but really only in the last couple of years have we seen people really using AI tools to 
not have to deal with all of their data. And we've seen this, we talked about camera traps, uh, where our goal is basically if you have 50 million camera trap images and only 10 million of them are interesting, we want you to just never have to look at the other 40 million. Similarly, in the acoustic recording space, so some animals you might study with camera traps, but you can't study beluga whales with camera traps. You might study particularly marine mammals. You might study with basically underwater microphones. Sometimes people study birds that way too with microphones. That's also really boring data to look through. And we've seen a huge trend in the last couple of years even toward people using AI to get rid of most of the boring stuff. Another domain we've seen exactly the same thing is in aerial and drone surveys. So people, particularly in places where there aren't a lot of trees, so like in polar areas or in savanna areas in Tanzania, for example, uh, people fly planes and take pictures of the ground to try to find all the animals. And even though it feels like there's lots and lots and lots of animals when you're in Tanzania, if you fly a plane over an area and look down at the ground, 99.9% .9 of what you're looking at is empty and has no animals in it. And we really don't want people to have to look at all of those images. So this is another space where really, even in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of progress toward using AI to have, let people focus their time on the interesting stuff. Wow, those planes sound really cool. Like, are they like small planes or big planes? Typically, so people are more and more starting to use drones wherever it's possible. Uh, but more commonly, I would describe them as small-ish planes. They are, I, I'm not an expert in this space, but mostly you're putting a whole bunch of fancy cameras on a plane that maybe has four or five people in it, so pretty small planes. Okay. Okay, so this is my last question. Do you think kids my age can learn what you do now so we can start mending our planet before it's too late? And how can we get involved and do all the cool things that AI for Earth is doing? Sure. You, kids can, of course, definitely learn uh, about technical skills and learn to program. Although I'd really encourage people, we're not the environmental science, AF Earth, we're not the environmental science experts who are going to be deciding what the important problems we need to address are in the next 10 years. I really encourage kids, instead of hanging out with me, and le learn to code, that's great, but don't, don't hang out with me, hang out with your local environmental scientists. And if you if kids want to get involved by volunteering, for example, there are conservation organizations everywhere. Like here in Seattle, for example, we have an amazing conservation organization at the Woodland Park Zoo that does conservation all over the world. We have local conservation organizations trying to monitor and protect species right here in Washington. And I encourage kids to go out and spend time with nature and spend time with environmental scientists who are working locally around you. Everybody's always looking for volunteers. And even if it's sometimes some of that boring stuff, you can help. And I would say, learn all that technical stuff for sure, if that's the thing that you're good at and the thing that excites you, but definitely get involved. There are, there are, no matter where you live, there are environmental scientists not too far from you. And the more you can spend time with them, learn what problems they really have, learn how they're really spending their time. Even if you want to end up in a career in technology for conservation, I'd encourage kids especially to spend as much time as they can with environmental scientists and learning how they use technology or just what they do and what, problem, what questions they're trying to answer. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining us today. And before we close off, where can kids go to learn more about AI for Earth and everything you do? If you just search for Microsoft AI for Earth, you will not miss us. So definitely go ahead and check out the AI for Earth webpage and you can find a zillion ways to contact us. And all the tools I talked about for the most part are open source. So for folks who are getting a little more advanced and are ready to download and work with tools, basically everything I talked about today almost uh, is stuff you can just download and try out yourself. And I encourage everybody to do that. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I love learning about everything you're doing and everything you're doing to help save animals and oceans. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks for what you're doing too. Let's go. La, la, la.